2002, we'll take you back in history lessons in a few years. Some of y'all might know this story. Some of you may never have heard it. This is maybe not that old yet, but uh, uh, in 2002, there was uh, some political controversy in the state of North Carolina. Uh, at that time, the Democrats uh, held the uh, General Assembly. The Republicans were trying to fight against them. It's the same old story, you know, it's always the way it is, right? That's the way it was. But at that time, there was some kind of some, it was kind of really tight, really close. Like, the, the, the Democrats were just like one vote away, and the Republicans thought they could get a hold of it. And it was just it was a lot of that political infighting going on. And in late 2002, there was an unlikely political partnership that formed. It happened to be an international house of candidates, AHA, in Salisbury, North Carolina. There were two men that walked into that. I actually think they walked into the bathroom to do this deal that they did, believe it or not. But one of them was a man who happened to meet, happened to have known him, uh, some of you might because he was from Washington, North Carolina. One was the former, he was formerly a, a Christian school teacher, and he was a bit of a darling of, uh, of the religious right wing of, of, uh, of the Republican Party, a man by the name of Michael Decker. The other one, had previously made his living as an eye doctor. And he was at that time the North Carolina Speaker, or the Speaker of the North Carolina House, and he was one of the top Democrats in the state at the time. So imagine this you've got this sort of right wing guy and this Democrat coming in together to make this deal together. They're coming at things, if you're not paying attention to what I'm saying, you need to understand they're coming at things from very different perspectives. Whenever you think of those different perspectives, they're different. Very different. They were elected by very different constituents. They, uh, they claimed to stand for very different things. But they struck a deal up at that pancake house in 2002. What happened was that Mr. Black, his name was Jim Black, Mr. Black wanted to keep his political power, and he knew it was kind of on, it was in the, it was in the balance. And Mr. Decker wanted to be relevant. He was kind of irrelevant at the time. And so what they did was, Mr. Black offered Mr. Decker something on the order of about $50,000 in bribes in order for him to do a few things to help him keep his power. Can they tell you what they did was wrong? What they did ultimately landed both of them to do prison time. They did something that was very wrong and out of and it was completely out of what they should have been doing. In fact, can I go and say that they knew better? They knew better. They knew better than to do that. It didn't represent anything that either party stood for. They disappointed a lot of people on both sides of the political spectrum. They ruined their reputation. They ruined their offices. They ruined their party causes. Hey, you don't you don't push forward a political cause by doing this kind of foolishness. And it's all because they forgot who they were. They forgot who it was they represented. And then you can think what you want to about one party or another, or about one extreme or the other, but these two men failed to appreciate what they were really doing, which was serving the state of North Carolina 
serving the voters of North Carolina, serving the causes that this state needed to be, uh, needed to be addressed. It's about why they were doing it. Not for political power, not for prestige, not for any of those things. By the way, they're not the first or the last to do this, by the way. A lot of our politicians get this way. That said, they forgot what they were supposed to be doing, who they were supposed to be serving. They thought, they, they, they forgot that the, the status that they held, the position that they held, the power that they held. And let us be clear, politicians do have position and power and, and prestige. But the reason they have that is because the voters handed it to them. You understand? That's why they have that. And because they wanted to keep that at all costs, they let their ruin as a result. I'll tell you that story from 2002. So that's exactly the sort of thing, but on a spiritual plane, that was going on in the Corinthian church. That sort of thing was going on there. Maybe the church is kind of losing its way. They've forgotten who they were. They've forgotten what they were really about. Uh, they were so mesmerized. They were, they were looking around and they were mesmerized by the stuff going on in the culture, the power that people would have, the positions and the, the petty squabbles that we all have. And they were forgetting who they really were. They were something. And Paul was writing them this letter, we call them the letter, the first, first letter to the Corinthians. He's writing them this letter to remind them. Now, there's a lot of detail, and we're going to talk about some of that detail in the next several weeks over the next few chapters. But what we're looking at here in this opening greeting, he's doing what any greeting ever does. What do greetings do? If he's writing it to you, and here's who I'm writing to. He is telling them in this sort of simple, straightforward way, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is telling us who we really are. That's what he's telling us. I want you to see who we really are in this passage. So who are we really? Let's just read that together. You can follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 1. He, he identifies himself as says Paul. Paul to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. He's just telling him he's writing to those people. That's who he is. And then he says in verse 2, he begins to tell him he's writing to. Coming to the church of God. It's an important distinction. He's calling them a church. He's calling them a church of God. Even though they, they definitely have problems, we're going to run into that, but they are absolutely God's church. To them, he describes them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, all to be saints. With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to hear his greeting to the church at Corinth, and I want you to ask the question to yourself Who are you really? Who are you really? And are you living up to what you are supposed to be? Who are you, really? Well, first of all, we see that the church of God, as he says here in verse 2, the church of God, they are special. The church of God is special in Jesus. Look what he says there in verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is a court, to them that are sanctified. The, the, the word sanctified simply means to be separated, called out, to be marked as special. That's why I'm calling the church special in Jesus. So he says you're sanctified in Jesus. He's saying that you are connected to Christ. You are set apart. He's picked you for a reason. This word, this way he's written here is sanctified in Christ Jesus. 
even in his resurrection, he broke into silence. Yes, it is his own power. He's doing that. But his victory over death now is my victory over death. You see that? He's identifying with me. Here is heaven touching earth, and by touching earth, makes it holy. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did for us. And because of that, I get to participate. Peter in 1 Peter 4.13 talks about that we are partakers of his suffering. We get to participate in his suffering. We get all the benefits of associating with him. I hope you're following what I'm saying. Jesus did all that, and he said, I'm with him. I'm doing this for Matthew too. You can put your name there too. I'm doing this for him. And because he did that, I am now something special. I have been made something special. I've been made holy by his actions. So there, in that verb form there, sanctified in Christ, that's what he did for me. But then when that makes the second part, we're called to be saints, the noun form, that defining noun, he said, sanctified in Christ, this is what he has done to us. But now he's saying, this is your title. You are a saint. You are a sanctified one. You are one who is now holy. You are different. You see, the church, both collectively and individually, you, you do know that this church is not this building. You do know that this church is not even just the members and the role, as it were. I understand officially and legally, I get all that. But I'm talking about in terms of spiritual matters, this church are the people who are saved by the grace of God who operate in this community, in your homes and in your businesses and in all the things that you do. That's the church of God. And yeah, we come together and we put a sign on the door that says Ellisburg, Ellisburg Church. But the church are you all. You're the church. And, and you see, the church, those individual people, they have been purchased. They have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because he did that, this is a crude example. I want to try to get you to think about this really quickly. If I were to go out and I were to uh, stumble across some kind of a uh, a junk heap of a car, and I was to be able to get that thing running and maybe pay, I don't know, a hundred dollars for it. I'd be happy if I got it running, paid a hundred dollars for it. I've got a nice decent car, just from point A to point B. But I'm gonna treat it like a hundred dollar car. On the other hand, I've saved up my money, I've got my dream car in mind, I've saved up my money, I go to the dealership, put my money down, and I'm riding out of there with a brand new twenty twenty two whatever it is you like. I know we all like to get stuff. Whatever it is, you, you've got a picture. You know what you like. You've got a picture in your mind. And you have saved up, and that thing, because by the way, they're not letting you off a lot anymore with much less about thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 anymore. So you've you got about forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in this vehicle that you are driving down the road. And you like it. But I think you might treat it a little different, wouldn't you? I hope you would. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. The point is, the thing that you invest more in, you spend a little more care with. Do you understand that? Same thing here. How are you what you are? How is it that you are a saint? Why is that? Because you are defined as that because the precious blood of Christ had to be spilled to pay for you. Therefore, there's something special. That 
the expectation. What's expected of you? We are, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, we are holy as He is holy. Because He has invested so much in it, it's worth that effort. The point of all this, the point of all this point here to tell you, he says here that we're special. The point of this is, you're special because Jesus is yours, and you are His. And He's done everything possible to make it possible for that to be a true statement. And you know what else? Because He's done that, He's expecting you to live like you are something special. He's expecting you to have an attitude, a heart, an action of everything of your life to be pointed and built towards the fact that he says in First Peter chapter two, we are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he uses in the King James, he uses the word says you are a peculiar people. Not that we're weird. That's not the point. But the idea of that is that we are owned and operated by the Lord Himself. We are people that we are possession of God. We are His, and He is ours. That's what we are. We are special in Jesus. But then go on. The next phrase, after that, verse 2, says, With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, the church of God is dependent on Jesus. So, I want you to understand this, that the church of Corinth, the church of Elisabeth, we're not the only church of God in the world. Nor are we the only church in the history. I, I think some churches, I'm not necessarily claiming that the case here, but some that I've been a part of, I can tell you that in the past, they have sort of gotten this idea that somehow, some way, they have got a special touch that nobody else in the history of the world has ever gotten. They figured something out. They've got the only set of truth. They're the only ones, and if every, everybody be honest, if they would be just like they are. That's the thinking that some people have. Of course, we don't have that attitude here. That's the wrong attitude. Because what he's trying to get Corinth to see here is why he says that with all that in every place call, he's saying, you're in a long line of people who call on the name of Jesus. In fact, that's a pretty long line if you didn't know that. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. Remember Adam and Eve, first man, first woman? They had, they had a son, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. One of them killed the other one. You remember this story? But then they had a third son, a man named Seth, was their son. And right after Seth was born, the Bible tells us, at that time began men to call on the name of the Lord. The point was, at that time there was a point, all the way back when there wasn't but about three or four people on the planet, they started calling on the name of the Lord. They started calling out to Him and calling Him their Lord. And the reason I'm telling you that is you need to know that you stand in a very long line of people. Even today, we stand in a long line of history. We stand in a long line. Even today, there are people all over this planet who are meeting. Some of them are meeting under, under uh, mango trees. Some of them are meeting in shacks that you probably wouldn't even want to walk into. Your face going to fall down. Some are meeting in beautiful cathedrals. They're meeting in all kinds of places. Some of them are meeting in homes. But these are people who call on the name of the Lord. And they're, they're, they're your family. They're your brothers. They're your sisters. Even if it feels like the tide is turning, and we can, we can get into that, that Elijah mindset. 
You know, Elijah, when he was getting run away by Jezebel, he kind of got in that mindset, man, I'm the only one alive that ever called on the name of the Lord. He was going to get in that mindset. And, and Paul said, no, no, folks. No, that's not true. There's a lot of people out there calling on the name of the Lord. So, please understand, even though know, the tide may feel like it's turning, you're not alone. You have brothers and you have sisters all over this planet. But that common bond, what makes it so we can call them my brothers? It's a common bond. It's just dependent on the Lord because what are they doing? There are people in every place that call upon the name of the of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The, the common bond is not our traditions. It's not our race. It's not some uh, religious liturgy. It is not a celebrity name. It is not some commonality, because I can tell you, you were to meet some of your brothers and sisters in places like Asia and Africa and, and, and the Middle East, they're probably not going to look anything like you. They're not going to have traditions like you. They're going to think differently than you in a lot of ways. But what's the commonality? They call on the name of the Lord. That means they're praying people. They're calling out to Jesus. And you know what God does to all the people that throughout history, but it always does. He hears you. He hears you. You know what else they're doing? They're identifying themselves with Jesus. They're, they're calling on the name, that one name, the one name above every name. No other name under heaven about whereby we must be saved. They're saying, He's the one I'm identifying myself with. You may have nothing in common with a brother who is in, 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 the, in Syria right now, but He and you are going to have this one thing that matters in common, is that you're calling on Him, you're identifying Jesus as your, as your Savior. They're depending on Him. They're, they're, they're calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Christ is an important name of Jesus. It is it's part of, it's more of a title than a name. It is more of identifying who He is. He is the Messiah. He is the one that all the world's been waiting for. And we are calling him the Christ. Not just our Christ, but the one Christ that the anointed one in all of heaven, all of creation is groaning for. We're saying, and there's people all over this planet are saying, Jesus is the Christ. And we don't miss the last part of his, of his phrase. He says there, they call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know what these brothers and sisters all over the planet throughout the all through the time of history have done? Yes, they've depended on the Lord, they've called on the Lord, they've identified with Him, but they've also submitted to Him. They're putting themselves under Him, recognizing that He is the Lord. He is our Master. He is the one that we follow after. We seek to hear His voice, and we seek to follow Him wherever He goes. That's the common bond that we have with our brothers and sisters. The whole point of telling you this is that if Jesus isn't the point, there's no point. I, I recognize my position in this church at this moment. Tennessee as it is, I recognize that. So y'all can take this and do whatever you want to with it. But I'm going to tell you, if Jesus is not the point of this church, you might as well disband. I don't care if you're 150, 200, 300 years old. It matters not if Jesus is not the point. If he's not the center, this is just another country club. And there's no point to this. He's telling us here that Jesus alone is the one who sustains us. He is the one who gives us strength and power. He is the one who gives us purpose. 
Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you're the church of Jesus, you're the kingdom of Jesus. That's what the church does. Last one, to a point, a point to verse 3. He is saying here, grace will you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very simple statement that he makes. He is doing what is, what is a classic Greek greeting. If this would have been, you'd have read any other letter from this time, they would have said something very similar. Like that, that Paul has some very Pauline marks to this, very Christian marks to this. But nonetheless, the, the form, the structure of what he's saying here is very similar. So he's just talking like the rest of the world around him when he says some of these things. It's a classic, Christ, or rather, classic Greek greeting. It's pretty much just saying, hello, how are you? Hope you're doing okay. That's the, that's the essence of what he's saying. But again, what makes it different is it's a very Christ-centered greeting. You go through these three verses and he references Jesus as Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything he's saying is about Jesus. That's one mark that's a little different. Second thing is, he uses two things here. He gives grace unto you and peace. The Greek greeting would have merely been some version of grace. Essentially saying, I hope you have a good time. I hope things are joyful for you, essentially. That would have been the Greek greeting. But he adds in here this peace. Which is a very Hebrew thing, a very Jewish thing to do. You may have heard the Jewish greeting of Shalom, people saying, greeting people with peace. Uh, that's what he was introducing here. He, he's basically saying, in addition to being very Christ centered, he's saying, it's not just about one ethnic group, it's about all of this. The, the, the Corinthian church was all about division, different groups, this one and that one. And Paul saying, y'all forget that now. Forget that now. This is about all of God's people, you and group. In today's world, it doesn't matter the color of the skin, it doesn't matter the, the cultural background, it doesn't matter which nation they're from, it doesn't matter what, what kind of language you speak, all of those things, all right, in Galatians, they're, they're all found, they have level leveled playing field at the foot of the cross. That's all that, none of that matters. But he also goes, when he's saying there, saying grace and peace, He's getting to the essence of the church's existence. Grace. This is something that is in no way deserved. But it is just screaming all about that. Oh my goodness. You don't understand that what you have is not anything you deserve. You need to spend a little time meditating on that. If you have, if you have heaven as your home, if you can stand here, if I could put, put you on the spot and you were to give a testimony and say, yes, I'm going to heaven when I die. If that's true of me, the only reason that's possible is because of grace. Undeserved. Totally undeserved. And it's abundant and bountiful. God is lavish. Lavish is His grace. He gives it to all people everywhere. The only thing that is required of me and you is to believe. Believe. Oh my goodness, that feels like a low bar. Let me just tell you, it is a low bar. Believe in Him, and He does the rest. But you still got to believe. You better believe. But the point is, it's lavish grace. But then He goes on that word peace, that shalom, that Hebrew shalom. It's the idea of wholeness, well-being. You're fully intact. You're exactly what God made you to be. 
that's what the Hebrew and the Jewish folks would be wishing to each other. That I want things to be complete in your life. You to be, have well-being in your life. And you need to understand that that's exactly what you have in Christ. You have it exactly as Peter puts it in Second Peter. He says you have everything you need for life and godliness. You've got it all in Jesus. You've got it all. But then go back to his reading in verse 3. He says that grace and peace, where does it come from? It's not Paul wishing this to them. It's from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the church is blessed by Jesus. We have these blessings, this blessing of grace, this blessing of peace. We have it only because Jesus gives it to us. And the point of all of this, the point of all of this, is to remind this church and this church that I'm speaking to today. In Jesus, you're abundantly blessed. He gives you more than you'll ever deserve. He makes you exactly what you're supposed to be. I can tell you, I can complain, and I will. I promise you. Spend enough time with me, I'll complain about what's not right, and what ought to be fixed, and how ought to be this different, and what ought to be. If you don't believe me, ask the next one. My wife, she said, I, she will tell you all the stuff that I can complain about, about myself and about everybody around me. I can complain. But I want you to know that if, if you are in Jesus, and you're the church of God, you are blessed because what God is going to do is He is going to give you, you'll see the Holy Spirit's empowering is exactly what you are supposed to be. He's going to put you right where He wants you. He's going to equip you to do everything He wants you to do. I can tell you, if you don't do it, it's your fault. Because it ain't God's fault. He's giving you everything you need. He's the one that provides. Paul says in Philippians 4, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All of that uh, gets you to this point I want to close with. Simply say, we have, we are so much. We have been made special by Jesus. We are dependent on Jesus. We're blessed by Jesus. If that's the truth, which I believe is the truth, I hope I've shown it to you from these first three verses. If that's the truth, then we as the church of God have better start finding our identity in Jesus. See, Paul's not just saying nice, true, but nice things about this church. He's talking to a specific church in a specific moment in time. There's a lot of division in this church. There's a very worldly church. They're just ravaged by sexual sin. Their favoritism is running rampant. They're suing each other. I mean, they're doing all sorts of things. They're very influenced by the culture around them. What they're doing is they're looking at people who can speak really well, people who've got a lot of money. Those are the people they think are very important. They're valuing power, influence. They're valuing, valuing consistency. That's what they're looking at because that's what the world around them looks at. And again, I want to draw a very direct parallel. Can you not see that same attitude in the 2021 church today? That's absolutely, we're so influenced by the world around us. And he's immediately, even though he's going to develop all these issues, he immediately hits on that in his greeting. And he's saying, listen, outside of Jesus, there's nothing but condemnation. Nothing but condemnation. You're never going to get your needs met. You can try to chase power and money and every other thing you want to chase, but you'll never get your needs met. You're nothing special. And I say that with all the love in my heart, but you're nothing 
special outside of Jesus. And you'll never be blessed. But inside of Jesus, inside, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And on top of that, you get all of the blessings of Jesus. So I'm asking you, church, I'm asking you, individual people and families in this church, please listen to me very clearly. Jesus had better decide who you are, what you are, and he needs to define you personally and as a church. Jesus has better define that. Literally, who you are and why you do what you do needs to be about Jesus. What you do, why you do it. And it's asking, why are you coming to church? Why do you want your children and your grandchildren to be in this church? Why? Why do you want to stay married to your spouse? Why do you go to work? Why don't you break the law? Why? Why does this church exist? Why do we do any of the things that we do? You're not asking yourself that question. You're missing a very important point of this passage. Because your answer needs to be some shade of the only reason I do these things is because Jesus opens the door for that and I get an opportunity to serve him. Now, you may not say it exactly that way, you're going to say it your way, that's fine. But the point is, Jesus had better be at the center of that thing. You need to be like Paul in Philippians 3. I know I've quoted this verse a few times, but I want to say it again. I count all things but law for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and we count them but that I may be saved. You to get to the place you understand that you are only special because of what Jesus has done. That you are only able to do anything because Jesus provides a way. You have eternal riches. You're not there. My invitation to you right now. Jesus is not the center of your life. If Jesus is not one that you've given yourself over to, I want to invite you to come and put your life in His hands right now. I want you, we call that short, shorthand Christianese, we call that getting saved. That's what we call it. I want you to call on the name of the Lord. I want you to join the millions upon millions upon millions of people throughout the history of the world who've called upon the name of the Lord. I want you to join those people. I want you to come. I want to show you from the Scripture what it means to put your life in the hands of Jesus. Would you do that today? And for those of you that have Jesus as your Savior, you have put your life in His hands. I want you to come and to surrender to Him again. Try to recalibrate I think so many of us get this thing all out of whack. I think we get this thing, we, we start doing what we do because what we do is forget the point. The whole point of this is that Jesus is the point. This is what makes it special. I want to call you, I want to invite you to church to please recalibrate. Look at your look at your motivations. Look at why you're doing what you're doing. Is it because of Jesus or is it some other weird reason? I can tell you, where you're going to end up, if you don't have Jesus as your point, you're going to get way off. Yeah.